Good evening. It is good to see each one of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. If you would be, open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll continue the lesson that we were studying this morning. It is great to see our 20-somethings back. They've been on a ski trip. It's good to see that there are no crutches involved in their worship service tonight. And uh, we appreciate them and love them and glad they had a good and a safe weekend. It was wonderful to be passing through the building this afternoon and going through the upstairs. We see the young soldiers and the young ladies serving Christ. And they were so busy in their various activities. And we appreciate the adults that are part of that. And we appreciate you young people that are part of that. It gives us a lot of hope for the future to see young people that's serious about uh, being what God wants you to be and taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives you uh, to live and to serve. Uh, Tonight we have a group of high school young men that are over in the Manchester area and they are conducting a worship service over there. And we're so thankful for them and for others that are training to be a part of that uh, this year. Also, as already mentioned, the uh, meeting with the land acquisition has been uh, a very good meeting this afternoon. We'll do it again this evening following services. If you would like to be a part of that, be sure and keep that in mind. Uh, Isn't our song service so beautiful on Sunday evenings? Wow. It is sometimes I, you just kind of think, oh, I hate that it's already time for the sermon because the, the singing is so good. Andrew does such a good job. And we appreciate so much all he does. And uh, this past week, Phil uh, led a panel at the Freed Hardeman Lectureships with the youth ministers about summer interns. And he has uh, developed along with the Mount Juliet congregation quite a reputation of this being a tremendous place to do a summer intern. And we appreciate Uh, All that he does on a regular basis, not only to influence the lives of our young people, but also to influence the lives of other young people that come in and spend a summer with us. And what a blessing. God just continues to open up the windows, the doors of opportunity, the windows of blessing. Let's just make sure that we're all wise with them all and we do everything that we can do. Are you safe? As we think about relationships today, we're thinking especially of that of marriage, of husbands and wives. Are you safe? Remember we mentioned this morning the fact that oftentimes when you ask individuals what is the greatest pain that they've ever experienced in their life and they'll describe what a husband or a wife has said or done to them or an ex-husband or an ex-wife. And, and that's such a shame because that's very far from what God ever designed marriage to be. God designed marriage to be a wonderful, safe relationship where we have a help me and one to be a blessing in our life as we go through life together. And so I want to challenge all of us to make sure that we are what we are supposed to be in our relationship. Now, we can't change the other person. We can't live their life. And so we're not studying this morning and tonight this particular topic so that we can apply it to our spouse. We're not studying this so that we can apply it to our grown children and the way they ought to be in their marriage. We're studying this for us. If you're married, this is for us. What can we do to be a better spouse? What is it that we can do so that we're safe in our relationship with God and we're safe in our relationship with those that we love? You remember we talked about this morning the fact of the foundation. That foundation has to ultimately go all the way back to God and to His Word. When we build our house upon that rock, it can withstand the storms. Second, we have to have within that foundation a commitment. We have to be genuine and loyal to each other. And as we think about, well, what does that mean to have a commitment that, that is uh, for the duration, as long as we both shall live? 
You remember when we turned to Hosea, he gave us some things to think about as it relates to that as we looked at righteousness and justice and we looked at loving kindness and mercifulness and faithfulness. Those are aspects that are Christian characteristics, if you will, of a commitment that God wants us to have. But then another layer of that foundation is there has to be love and it's love that is agape. It's a gift. It is a decision to give to the other what is right and best in every aspect of the relationship. It's sacrificial. It's unconditional. Within the marital realm, it's eros to its fullest. And that is an obligation that God gives to husbands and wives to share with one another. It will involve philia, that warm emotional feeling from time to time. But it will also leave from time to time. And that's where agape comes into play to say, no matter how I feel, no matter what you've just done, I'm going to do the right thing. That's the gift that we give of agape. But now that we've laid that foundation, let's think about some structure here. And again, we're going to look primarily from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, one of the most beautiful passages that's ever written about that of marriage. And the reason I say that is because in Ephesians 5, he compares marriage to that of Christ and the church. There's no greater exaltation of marriage in all of the Bible for him to say, this is how you can better understand marriage, better understand the relationship that Christ has with the church. As a matter of time, as a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5, at least seven times, he says, as. In other words, he's teaching us that as we study about our relationship with our spouse, it is to be as Christ had for the church or as the church has for Christ. And so it's important for us to understand that. We'll also spend a little bit of time in 1 Peter, the third chapter. And, uh, We will try to shut down on time. But to do that, what we're going to have to do is look at some very important points and make them and move right on. I wish we had time to slow down and to make the application deeper and to make it more of an everyday type application. We simply don't have time in the way that we're trying to build this house in one Sunday, looking just Sunday morning and Sunday night. And so with that in mind, let's think about what are some things that God would have us to understand that we should put upon this foundation. First, it's a man and a woman. It's a husband and a wife. And as we read in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, as we think about this relationship to one another, we realize that when we look at the way God has designed the home, there's not one member of the family that has a greater worth or a greater value than any other. Just like when we look in the relationship of God the Father and God the Son, which one is the most valuable? They're of equal worth. They're of equal essence. And so it is, simply because they have different roles does not mean that one is more important than the other. And so it is in the home. Which one has the greater value, the parents or the children? There is no greater value. They're of equal essence. Do they have different roles? Absolutely. Well, what about when we look at the husband and wife? Which one has the greater value? They're of equal value, but do they have different roles? Please get this because you're not going to hear this in the workplace tomorrow and you're not going to hear this in school. America is going to say, of course they have equal roles. Now, we have to decide. Are we going to allow the Lord to build the house and build on His foundation, His scriptures? Or are we going to allow God to build our house? Now friends, this is going to distinguish our marriages from marriages out in the world. You won't find what we're about to study out in the world. 
when you look at Galatians, and we're going to mention this very quickly, you see there in Galatians 3 and 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equal worth, but very different roles. Why do I know that this is a challenge? I don't say this to embarrass anyone that I might be referring to. I'm simply saying this to say this is where we are as Americans. When I do premarital counseling, one of the questions that is asked is, what do you believe the role of the wife is in marriage, and what do you believe the role of the husband? The most common response, and many of the ones I'm working with have grown up in the church, the most common response is they share the same roles. That's the most common response. Friends, again I say to you, the world believes that, practices that, and says that. You can't get anything close to that in the Scriptures. We don't get close to fulfilling the same role. So let's read through and see some things that God says and then decide if we want to do it our way, which would be vain, First uh, uh, Psalms 127 and verse 1, or if we want to allow the Lord to build the house, and then we won't labor in vain. So let's think about this. As we look in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, look at 22, 23, and 24. Ephesians 5, 23, 22, 23, and 24. And let's ask God, God, what is it that you want wives to do? And what is it you want husbands to do? And he'd say, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, as we look at the submission here that he teaches the wives to have, there's two things that leap off the page here. The final phrase we just read, he says, submit to them in everything. That pretty well defines what the role of submission is for the wife. But the motivation is very important for us to understand as we go back to 22. Wives don't submit to their husband because their husband's perfect. They don't submit to their husband because their husband's a Christian. First Peter the third chapter verse one and two. They don't submit to their husband because their husband's better than them. They submit to their husband because it's the role that God gave the wife. And here he says, as to the Lord. He's literally saying here, you submit to your husband and you do it because of your relationship with the Lord. In Colossians, sister epistles. Ephesians and Colossians are sister epistles. And in the third chapter, he says, as is fitting to the Lord. And so the submission here relates to the fact that you want to be right. You want to be, and I know we usually don't use the language like this, but we want to be fitted with the Lord. We've all seen a carpenter go out and, and saw a piece of lumber and go and try to put that lumber into place and say, that, that just doesn't fit. And he goes back and he adjusts the cuts and then he comes back and it looks beautiful. It fits perfectly. What is fitting to the Lord? It's fitting to the Lord that the wives submit. Now keep in mind, we're building a house. And we have to decide which foundation we're going to build on. And the wife says, I tell you one thing, I'm not going to submit to any man. Okay, you can do that. You have the right to do that. But you've just left the foundation that will weather storms and you've gone over into the sand and you've built your own house that God doesn't bless, He doesn't prosper, He doesn't protect. 
As a matter of fact, you say you've just built it in vain, and also you're staying up at night to watch your city. That's the second part of Psalms 127 and 1, and you're watching in vain. What's the responsibility of the husbands? The husbands, he says, is to be the head of the home. Now, I would say that we probably have just as great a shortage of men in America that's willing to be head of the home as we have of women that's willing to submit to the head. There's a lot of people in this world that want to live in a house and nobody take responsibility for it. They want to be involved in a marriage and no one wants to take responsibility for it. Now, I just throw this out for you to think about. I'm no authority on this. You think about it and we can mull it over and see. I believe one reason we have such a problem with submission is because if somebody submits to the other, that demands the other to be a leader. And there's not many people that's willing to step up and be the leader of the home. The one that says, I'm responsible. Now keep in mind, leaders don't get their way. The truth is, leaders never do anything for their own benefit. We are to be the head of the home just as Christ was the head of the church. What did Christ do for the church that was His benefit? He didn't. Instead, He died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. He washed the feet of the church. On and on. So what are we learning here? We're learning that headship is about deciding the direction and paying the price for that direction to be the pathway that will travel. Where are the men that will say to their families by the way they live, by the way they talk, by their very heart, by their very nature, they'll say to their families on a day-to-day basis, I'm living among you. I'm not any better than you, but I can tell you this. We're on our way to heaven. This is the direction we're going. This is where this house will stand. And if we don't succeed in that, we failed in everything. Where are those men that are willing to take the lead? And probably you will find a lot of women that would be honored to be a part of that home. And so it is, as we read further, we see another aspect of this leadership. Look again at Ephesians 5, and let's read verse 25, and we'll see more about the, wife, the husbands, and then we'll skip down and read 33. But notice Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now that's what we see about the type of love and the type of leadership that is involved there. Now notice 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Now notice each time here he's talking about this headship, he's talking about love. Now you remember the definition of love from this morning. The definition of love is agape. It is a gift that we give because it's a gift of service. It's not done because of something great that's been done in return. It's sacrificial and it's unconditional. It was love that drew Jesus to His knees to wash the feet. It was love that placed Jesus on the cross, not because He wanted to emotionally, but because He was committed to do what was right and best. Now, as we think about headship the way God designed it, it's going to be from a servant's heart. In leadership course, once it was... Uh, said, and I had never thought about this before, before Jesus Christ came to this earth, leaders always felt exalted. 
They felt like someone should serve them. Kings had cupbearers. They had people at their disposal to be servants. And Jesus came to this earth and He was the first king. He was the first one that ever taught His followers that those that should be leaders should be last. And those that should be leaders should be servants. And so here's the king of kings walking on this earth and he went around to the lame and he gave him strength to walk. He went around and served the blind to give them sight to see. He went around to the deaf and gave them so that they could hear. He went to women that were being oppressed and he lifted them up. Friends, he brought a servant's heart to leadership like it had never been done before. And then of all things, in his covenant he says... Now, husbands, I want you to lead your wives and practice that same love that I taught you. It's the servant's heart. Husbands, I want to challenge us. What goes through our mind when we see that our wife has pulled up in the driveway and we know that she's come in from the grocery store? Are you thinking, wow, I'm glad they invented those plastic bags. You can get six of those in each hand. She'll get it. Or do you have a servant's heart? Now think about this. We're talking about a heart. Or do you have a servant's heart that because of that heart you would say to yourself, I wouldn't dream of not getting up and serving her. What do you do on a regular basis for your wife? Not because you like doing it, but because you believe it's your place to serve your wife. What do you do for your kids on a regular basis because you believe it's your place as the leader to serve your family? That's what leadership is to Jesus. And of all the ways he taught it, he says, Now, husbands, love your wife in that same kind of headship. Be willing to die on the cross for them, but be willing in the meantime to serve them as I've taught you to serve. I know that if I was out there to preach a sermon that would be just... uh, candy to the ear. We wouldn't be talking about all this, but you know what? Great relationships, they're hard. They take sacrifice. They take work. I don't know how this will strike you, but I can't rewrite the Scripture. You know what he says there in 33 to the wives? He says, here's what I want you to do. Respect that man that you call your husband. Again, it's not because he's so awesome. It's because of the role that God has given you as the one in the home that submits to him. Well, maybe that's not exactly what he meant. Oh, yeah, because to make it even clearer, when you go to First Peter, the third chapter, he spent two verses talking about that, the way Sarah respected or gave reverence or honor to her husband. She obeyed him in all things. The point is this. Have you ever seen a couple that were a godly Christian couple, and it just seemed like they adored each other. 
And you know what you saw was them holding hands walking in church together after their 50th anniversary. What you saw was the way he puts his arm around her during the song service. What you see is the way they they lean over and still give each other a kiss when they think no one's looking. But have you ever thought about how did they get to that point? What is it that makes a relationship like that? I believe it's when the wife gives reverence, gives respect to the husband, and the husband leads his wife with a servant's heart to help care and to wait upon her. Friends, the things we enjoy when the house is safe, when the relationship is right, has to be built from the heart of humility. The servant's heart. The respectful heart. Now for those of you that aren't married, I want to challenge you. We can't change God's way. So someone says, I can't imagine marrying someone and submitting to them. Well, don't marry that individual until you find the one, ladies, that you can submit to. Don't marry that individual until you say, you know what, I can respect him. I can respect the way he lives. I can respect the way he treats his mother. I can respect the way he treats his sisters. I can respect the way he treats me. I can respect the way he treats God. Now that might be someone worthy of marrying. Men, can you do dishes for her? Don't marry her until you can say, I can serve her. I can go out of my way and I can get on my knees and wash your feet if I have to. And if I need to, I can do that every day for the rest of my life. I can serve her because that's what God expects us to do. And if we can't enter into that relationship with humility, we don't belong in that relationship in the first place. Let's move on. Look in verse Ephesians 5 and look at verse 28. Notice what he says to the husbands here. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Here we see that relationship with the wife from the husband is one of a provider, one that nourishes his wife, one that cherishes his wife. Do you take care of something you cherish? Absolutely. And so what is he doing here? He's making sure that everything that she needs to be healthy, everything that she needs for her life to be sustained. What does your wife need for her to have self-confidence? Did your wife have more confidence before you married her and less now? We're doing something wrong if that's the case. What is it that your wife needs to be socially healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy, spiritually healthy? Are we as husbands providing those things that our wives need? You know, it's interesting to me when you read at the end of Proverbs, the 31st chapter, the virtuous woman, it teaches that she shall be praised. Husbands? Have you ever stopped to think about that there's some praise that nobody else on earth has a right to give your wife except you? Now the question is, will your wife ever hear that praise? It's a shame if she has to go all through her life never being lifted up because she married a guy that won't 
nourish her and won't cherish her. It's a shame if that guy says, okay, I'll build a house, but I'm not building it on God's plan. I'm not that kind of guy. I just don't talk like that. Well, God's man does. God's man praises his wife in the ways that nourishes her, in the ways that proves that she's cherished. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, the third chapter, let's hit on some things, and, and we've got to really speed this up. And um, notice 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. These wives here that he's speaking to are going to submit to their husbands, even if their husbands are not a believer. Notice at the end of verse 1, and they may be won by the conduct of their wives. And that conduct in verse 2 is that they observe your chaste conduct. It's holiness. What does God want out of a wife? He wants that woman in the home to be a holy woman. Think about it. If, if God's design in the home... What does He want the woman to be? He wants her to be pure. He wants her to be a good influence on her husband. He wants her to be a good influence and and a great uh, nourishment to the children. These are the things that only a holy woman can provide to the children. Now notice also, as we look to 1 Peter, the third chapter, more about the woman in verse 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a very precious in the sight of God. What is it to God that's worth great, great amounts? It's not just the gold and the expensive jewelry. It's not a beautiful hairdo. It's not fine clothing. What's worth worthy in God's sight is an inner heart that is gentle, and that is quiet. Now notice, the first things he spoke of were things that were adorned. They were things that individuals, that women put on. And here's the question. Women, have you put on these things in your heart? Do you have a gentle spirit? A quiet spirit? The quiet is talking about tranquility. The gentleness is... Is like a sober-mindedness. It's clear in their thinking. It's making sure that things are done by God's control. Now think about a, a woman who makes sure before she speaks in her home that it's God's words that's going to be spoken. Before she acts, it's things that God would approve of. A woman that's going to promote peace in the home. You can say it's unfair. I say it's the way God designed it. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. What does God want mama to be? Wants her to have a tranquil heart. Wants her to be peaceful. God didn't design homes to be a place of yelling and screaming and cursing and anger. God designed the home to be a safe place. A place for relationships to flourish. Now, as he speaks to the husbands in 1 Peter 3 and 7, think about the protection that he offers that the husbands ought to provide. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Here we see the realization that the strongest person on earth will always be a man. The, the average person on earth that's the strongest will always be a man. The, weak of the, the weaker of the sexes will always be a woman. What's the point? Men, wives are not your children. We don't punish them. 
We don't make them do anything. We lead toward heaven. And if they want to follow through reverence and respect, that's a blessing to the family. But if they don't, because we're stronger, we never force them. Never. A man has sorely misunderstood God's plan when he thinks his strength has been given so he can make his wife obey. So he can scare her into submission. Domestic violence, domestic abuse, in a crowd this size is happening. And I want to beg you to realize you can't build your house on God's rock and be forcing your way around with your wife. The strength that God gives the husband is to protect her. And what a sad shame it is when the one God put into her life to protect her is the very one she's afraid of. Let's let it never be. Now as we think about this, we see in Psalms 127 and verse 3 that children are a gift from God. We see in Ephesians 6 and 4 that they'll be returned in, to heaven. Now just note this one thing as we look at this important element. Children are not the foundation we build our marriages upon. Children are not the center of our life. The truth is, if we're married for 50 or 60 years, children are going to be in our life inside our home for less than half that time. We make a terrible mistake when we build our marriage around our children. We build our marriage around God and our relationship with each other, and children love it that way because they have security, they have happiness, they have everything in the way God has designed it to be. But whenever it becomes about the children, there's a problem whenever the children leave home. Because then, instead of husband and wife, it's mom and dad, and they look over at each other and say, Who are you? And now what do we have to talk about? And what do we have to do? Because everything we've based our relationship on for the last 20 years has been about the kids. I don't know you anymore. Have you noticed the number of individuals that divorce after their 20 and 25th anniversary? Let's make sure that we keep things in proper order. And the time that God gives those children to our homes, it's a blessing. Let's return them to Him. And the times that they're out of the home we still have that wonderful relationship just the way God designed it. We put the roof on this house and we could use many different passages. We'll go to Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 33. It's not written specifically about marriage, but it is a principle that definitely applies to all situations in life. Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What happens when that marriage is is going toward God. The direction is heavenly. Everything in that relationship is, let's let God's will be first. Let's seek the church on this earth first. Let's seek our heavenly home, the kingdom in heaven first. Now notice what's going to happen. The heavenly blessings are going to return. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, all these things shall be added to you. In this chapter, he's talking about earthly possessions. 
we receive rich blessings.